Amen. You may be seated. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning, asking for the Spirit's assistance. O Holy Spirit, you bring light and life. In your face we see light. So Lord, open your word to us this morning and receive all the glory and the honor and the praise we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Ethan Fordham. I serve as one of the elders here at Renovation Church and so grateful to have everyone here with us this morning on this snowy morning. Really the first, is it really the first snow of the year, right? Is it? It's not. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I forget. Honestly, you just drown it out, right? Like, it's, so, it's good to forget the snow, in my opinion. Christmas time, right? It's one of the best times of the year for so many reasons. For me, when faced with the beginning of winter, which some people call me crazy, I think is like when the fair ends. Like when the fair ends, I'm like, winter is coming. It's a sad world in which I live, right? Winter is coming. And with it, it's going to bring so much doom and gloom, in my opinion. You wake up, it's dark. You go to work, it's dark. You come home from work, it's dark. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon, dark. It's dark all the time, and that's sad. And with this sadness comes so many feelings of just oppressiveness and angst. If you know, you know, last yesterday I was rocking out to some old school emo tunes, just soaking in the darkness of this season, right? With some good old fashioned emo angst. But there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot right at the end of November to the end of December. That's Christmas time. Christmas time is amazing. It comes with so many beautiful lights, even in the darkness, beautiful, pretty lights. These lights were on during the work week this week, and every day I came in and they were still on, and I was like, I'm okay with this. Like, this is great, right? Lights. There's doom and gloom outside, but inside, there's warmth, there's happiness, there's baking, there's eggnog, right? Right, eggnog. Because of all of these things, wintertime feels a little less oppressive, right? Even the snow today, it's not regular snow, it's Christmas snow, right? A little less oppressive. The angst, it, it lifts a little bit. It brings joy. Christmas time offers so much hope in a season of doom and gloom. Now, that's just me. Maybe for you, it's not that way at all. Maybe Christmas time isn't a happy season. Maybe it represents a lot of sadness. Perhaps even just the stress of having to make all of the things fit into a period of time, right, with family, friends. Kids are screaming. They're disappointed with their gifts, right? 
maybe sometimes the Christmas season is a little stressful. But all in all, Christmas is ultimately temporary, is it not? Even though sometimes it brings a lot of hope, it's nonetheless temporary. If we're being honest, December 26 stinks. It stinks. We need something lasting. Because doom and gloom doesn't actually go away. Especially in a world littered with poverty, economic poverty, spiritual poverty. In a world where there are wars and rumors of wars. In a world where sin and death seems to always have the upper hand. We need some lasting hope. So the question is, is what's going to make the difference? And in our text, Israel is really probably feeling this way. They're in the, the context of much darkness, much doom and gloom right now. The kingdom is divided. Israel is to the north and Judah to the south. They're divided, and things are not well in either place. Not only has the Lord told Ahaz that he's going to use the Assyrians to afflict Judah, but the Assyrians have already carried away captives in the northern kingdom as well. There is doom and gloom in the land. But, as the great poet-philosopher Mary Poppins once said, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Israel is sick, but God provides some sweet medicine to them. We read, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Right? We have two buts, two contrasts. A word, but, the contrast, carries with it so much anticipation when you read the scriptures, does it not? That God sets an expectation for those who have suffered and are suffering. An expectation of great hope. In the midst of doom and gloom, God promises hope. We go on to read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone, right? It's a dark time for the people of God. Not only has judgment begun in the northern kingdom, but judgment is guaranteed to come to the southern kingdom. They are in the darkness of judgment. But God promises light, light, blessing, favor from God, Light, a symbol of God's presence, a really an image of God himself. As we read in 1 John, in him is light and no darkness at all. What hope 
for a people who are walking in darkness, who are shrouded in darkness, that the light of God will dawn on them. But that's not all. We go on to read, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What sort of blessing might they expect from God? Well, first he says, in the increase of the nation, right? The increase of the nation. As those who are being carried away into captivity, the idea that the nation is going to increase is astonishing. It provides so much hope for them. Because right now, they're the harvest for a foreign power and are the spoils being divided themselves. But when joy comes, they will rejoice before their God, when God gives them increase. Amen? And further, God gives them reasons for this blessing and joy. We read, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. As those who have been, are being carried away and will be carried away into slavery, the promise of freedom grants so much hope, does it not? The judgment will come upon their oppressors, But their freedom will not be secured through human cunning, nor through their own willpower. When it refers to the day of Midian, it's hearkening back to Judges, to Judges chapter 7, when Gideon was judge over the nation. Gideon is ready. He's got 32,000 troops with him to rise up against the Midianites and the Amalekites. But according to God, 32,000, it's too many. It's too many. So the Lord actually causes fear to arise in 22,000 of the troops, and they all go home, leaving 10,000. 10,000, okay. It's a third. It's a third right? God still says too many. He says too many. And so he calls Gideon to determine who will go with him to battle by observing the way they drink water. Will they stoop down to the water and, what he says, lap it up? Or will they take and bring the water up to their face. Those who bring the water up to their face, they shall go to battle with you. Okay, so we have 10,000 remaining. So who does that? How many? 300. 300 of 32,000 remain. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, could there really be that many Midianites and Amalekites? 
Maybe it's not that bad. Well, it is bad. We read in, Ju in Judges 7 that they were like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Now, I'm no mathematician, but those aren't good odds. <laughs> Am I right? That's a lot. And all Gideon has is 300 men armed with swords, torches, and jars. So what happens? Well, they go to the camp. They go to the camp as the army of the Midianites and Amalekites were sleeping. And what happens is they take and they break their jars, they raise their torches, they blow their trumpets, and shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the enemies wake up and in an absolute panic, flee. Even some of them striking at their own people, killing one another. How has this happened? 300 people. How has this happened? They didn't even have to do anything but break some jars and yell and blow a trumpet. How has this happened? It was not their cunning. It was not their willpower. But the power of the Lord gave victory into their hands. It was nothing short of the Lord. It was the Lord who was their victor. And this is why they will have light and joy. Their freedom would be secured by nothing less than God's power to save them and judge their enemies. Nothing less than the Lord acting on their behalf. And in doing this, the Lord brings that which the people of God always sought after. We continue, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. There's no need for tools or weapons of war when peace abounds. Imagine what that was like for the people of God who have been at war since their beginning, who have been seeking rest, peace on all of their borders. When this peace comes, every bloodstained garment and every instrument of war will only be good for fire, only good for warmth. Friends, this hope is light, joy, peace, freedom. This is what God promises in these words. God promises great hope to those in doom and gloom. But as we hear these words, we have to wonder how is God going to accomplish this. He says he's going to do it. It's as good as done. But how is he going to accomplish this? 
right? How will the Lord give them lasting hope? We might even wonder for ourselves, how does the Lord give us hope, give us lasting hope? Many of us will seek out the smells and bells of Christmas for hope in this season. I know I will. But when Christmas is over with, we need hope that goes beyond it. Amen? We need hope that lasts. So God goes on to tell us how he will grant true and lasting hope to us. We read, For to us a child is born, to us a son given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A child born, a son given, upon whom the, the government rests on a child, right? And this child will be a king? Well, in our context, this is not foreign language to the Jews. This was their expectation. They expected a king, a Davidic king, who would come and sit on David's throne and save the people from their enemies. This is all because the Lord promised David, back in 2 Samuel 7, a son who would sit on his throne forever. But is this just the next king? Is it Hezekiah? Hezekiah was a very good king in, as far as kings go in, in Judah. But it couldn't have been. It couldn't have been Hezekiah. Nor could it have been any other king that reigned in Judah or Israel. Because they were all plagued by their own sins. And inevitably, every single one of them without skipping a beat, died. They all died. And eventually, even the southern kingdom would be carried away into captivity to Babylon. And even upon returning, there was not a son of David to sit on the throne. So what about God's promises? What about the Lord's promises to the people? His promise to David, his promises here in Isaiah. 700 years later, bit of a time jump. 700 years later, to a betrothed woman in the town of Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee, an angel of the Lord appears. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Amen? Jesus Christ is the child born. He is the son given. He is the hope of the world to bring light, joy, freedom, and peace. He is the one whose divine majesty and human person ushers in the power of the kingdom of God and sits on the throne of David, his father, forever. Amen? How does God give us hope, lasting hope? God gives us hope through the rule of his sovereign son. And the name of this sovereign son has power unlike any other. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That he is wonderful. The wonder, the full splendor of what it means to be divine and to be human. Wonderful in his person. Maybe we might even say the most astonishing, beautiful person you could ever even conceive of. And wonderful counselor. The one to whom every person can go. The wisdom of God. The riches of, div of divinity, of wisdom. Amen? Wonderful counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God, for he is no mere man, but God come, into the, come in the flesh. God eternal, stooped down to human flesh to come and bear the sins of his people, to save them from wrath to secure salvation. And all of this he does by his divine majesty. Amen? Mighty God. And his name shall be called Everlasting Father. For he comes with loving and tender care for his people. Imagine the best father better than that. Loving, tender care. That his disposition is fatherly. He's everlasting father, not in terms of the Holy Trinity. He's not the father in the Trinity, but the son. But he comes as a father to gather his children to himself. We even think as a king, right? The kings in the line of David, they all died and were buried with their fathers. But this is an everlasting father. Amen? And though he was buried, he did rise again. Everlasting father. His name shall be called Prince of peace, for he brings eternal and everlasting peace between God and man. 
St. Augustine, the fifth century, said this in the opening of his confessions. He says, you awaken us to delight in your praise, for you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The perfect peace of the Prince of Peace brings true rest in God. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know this Prince of Peace and you're not sure about this Jesus business, Jesus is perfect peace for those who come to him in faith. Because God is good and he's just. And therefore, he must punish sin. We would expect nothing less from an earthly judge. He must punish sin. And at the end of the day, we have to consider, am I at war with God or am I at peace? There is no middle ground. There's no middle ground. He will either be your prince of peace or the enemy of your warfare. But Christ extends peace to you this morning. Come to him in faith. He alone brings peace between God and man, that he can bring rest through the death on his cross. So friend, if you don't know Jesus, receive his peace and rest in him. And in fact, in the midst of turmoil, if you belong to Jesus, receive his peace, right? Because we hear over and over in the, in the scriptures, peace be with you. Jesus says himself, peace be with you. And then unfortunately, uh, maybe a lost, beautiful tradition in the Christian church, but the giving of the peace when Christ's people say to one another, peace, peace to you, right? And everyone responds, and to your spirit, or peace be with you and also with you to be reminded of this peace the peace of the Prince of Peace, the peace that has brought us peace between God and man. Friends, how does God give us lasting hope? God gives us lasting hope through the powerful name of his sovereign son. And what good news it is that this Prince of Peace has a peaceful rule that will never end. Not only will it not end, but its increase is endless, right? If you're an economist, we might think of like a, an exponential curve, right? Every exponential curve eventually plateaus, right? There's no endless, you know, just going up, right? Not of Christ's peace and his government, amen? An endless growth ever, forever growing, right? Not a limited government, not a limited peace, but an endless and eternal peace that increases and grows forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? It is a peaceful rule which satisfies every possible longing of the human heart, a rule that brings peace with God 
and peace with each other. Amen? So friends, how does God give us lasting hope? God gives us hope through the endless peace secured by his sovereign son. Brothers and sisters, as if it's not enough, as if the Lord hasn't told us enough to give us so much hope, to give us so much joy, if he hasn't lightened upon us enough in these words, he adds his own reasons for doing all of this. We read in that final verse, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That it is God's holy jealousy for his own people that, le that leads him to this. Amen. His deep concern for our welfare means that he acts on our behalf. That he does all that is required to give us this hope. This is hard to imagine, isn't it? How can I be worthy for the Lord to act on my behalf? Well, the answer to that question is that we aren't. We are not worthy. But the Lord is jealous for his glory in the salvation of a people. Amen? And that he acts on our behalf. That the holy, eternal God would have concern for our welfare. For mine, for yours. I thought helpfully stated, John Calvin says this, he says, Isaiah shows that God is inflamed with an uncommon and extraordinary desire to promote the salvation of the church so that if believers cannot measure of their own capacity what he has just now promised, still they ought not to cease to entertain confident hope. For the manner of it is wonderful and inconceivable. Friends, how does God give us lasting hope? God gives us hope by zealously acting through his own son on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, we should not stop considering the confident hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Confident hope in Christ ought to transform our minds, to be on our hearts and our minds at all times. Because Christ is the light of God shining on us. So hope in him. May the light of Christ shine on you in whatever darkness you are currently in and offer you, bring you relief. May the light of Christ shine through you in order to be a beacon of hope to those around you. Christ is our cause for joy before God. So hope in him. May Christ make all your ways joyful and bring you true and abiding happiness found only in the face of God. May God or Christ cause you joy in all circumstances. Friends, may Christ lead you to rejoice before God as we gather week in and week out 
as Christ's people on the Lord's day. Friends, Christ is our freedom from slavery. So hope in him. May the freedom you have in Christ lead you to righteousness, to loving sacrifice for our friends, our family, our neighbor, to loving sacrifice and service for our spouse. As those free in Christ, we become free servants of all. Christ is our peace that has put an end to the need for war between us, between us and God. So hope in him. May the peace of Christ rule your hearts, that we may love one another well. Amen? Be together. Bring our lives together, that we may display Christ's love to one another, that we may love our neighbors in truth. Do we know our neighbors well enough to love them, to extend the peace of Christ to them, to hope for their redemption, their salvation? Oh, friends, the peace of Christ brings us peace so that we might be at peace with everyone. Oh, that how that ought to transform our interactions on social media, in person, to be a people at peace with everyone as a peaceful people. Friends, it's Christmas time. It's a time for light, joy, freedom, and peace. It's a time for hope. But let's remember, when Christmas is over, that true and lasting hope is found in the salvation secured by God's sovereign Son. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and most merciful God, in whose Son we have received light, joy, freedom, and peace. God, may we be light to others. May we rejoice at all times. May we use our freedom to serve others. And Lord, may we be at peace with all people. God, that your name might be proclaimed. That your glory go out into the world that people would come to know the hope of Christ. God, be glorified. We pray and ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.